Heart of the World by H. Ryder Haggard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 2 The Senor Strickland. Two and twenty years ago I, Ignacio, visited a village in the state of Tamaulipas named Cumarvo, a beautiful place half hidden in pine forests among the mountains. I came to this hamlet because a friend of mine, one of the brethren of the Order of the Heart, wrote to me saying that there was an Indian in the neighborhood who had in his possession an ancient Aztec scroll which, being in picture writing, neither he nor anyone else could read. This scroll had descended to the Indian through many generations, and with it a tradition that it told of a very rich gold mine in the mountains whereof the site was lost, which had been closed to save it from the grip of Cortes, by the order of Guatemoc, my forefather, whom the Spaniards murdered. May their souls be accursed. Now... I had been taught the secret of the picture-writing by old Antonio, my father's friend, when first I was initiated into the mysteries of the heart, though it must die with me, for I believe that at this hour there is no other man living who can read it. This writing the Indian was willing to give up to me as lord of the heart, and accordingly, having nothing better to do, I journeyed to Cumarvo to study it. In this matter, as in many others, I was destined to meet with disappointment, at any rate for a while, for on my arrival at the house of my friend I heard that the Indian had died of a sudden sickness, and that his son could not discover where the scroll was hidden. Another thing I heard also, namely, that a white man and Inglesi, the first who ever visited these parts, had come to the village about six months before, and was engaged in working some old silver mines on behalf of a company, a task that he found difficult, for the Mexican owners of the land in the neighborhood being jealous of him and angry because he paid his men a fair wage, with striving to prevent Indians from laboring in his mine. Now the natives of this place, from Monday morning to Saturday night, were a gentle and industrious people, but they had this fault that on Saturday night many of them were accustomed to become drunk on mescal, the spirit that is distilled from the root of the aloe. Then their natures were changed, and fierce quarrels would spring up amongst them, for the most part about uh, women that ended often enough in bloodshed. It chanced that such a fray arose on the night of my arrival at Cumarvo. On the morrow I saw the fruits of it as I walked down the little street which was bordered by white flat-roofed houses and paved with cobblestones, proposing to attend Mass in the lime-washed church, where the bell rang night and day to scare evil spirits back to hell. In the middle of the street, lying in the shade of a house, were two dead men, a handsome Indian girl with a sullen and unmoved countenance was engaged in winding a serape or blanket round one of the bodies, 
but the other corpse lay unattended, certain stains upon the clothing revealing the manner of its end. On a doorstep sat a third man, much wounded about the head and face, while the barber of the village, its only doctor, attempted to remove his hair with a pair of blunt scissors so that he might dress the cuts. The scene was dreadful, but uh, no one took much notice of it, for Indian life is cheap, and in those days death by violence was even more common in Mexico than it is now. On the opposite side of the street, an old woman, chaffered with a passerby about the price of her oranges, while some children, with shouts and laughter, strove to lasso and drag away a pig that haunted the place, and a girl on her way to mass stepped over the uncovered body which lay so quiet in the shade, and, recognizing it as that of a friend, crossed herself as she hurried on. "'What is the cause of this, Signor?' I asked the barber. "'I think that I uh, have the honor of addressing Don Ignacio,' the little man answered, and lifting his hands from their work, he made a sign showing that he also was a member of the Brotherhood, though a humble one. "'I thought so,' he went on as I gave the countersign. We heard that you were going to visit us, and I am glad of it, for I weary of dressing wounds on Sunday, and perhaps you may be able to put a stop to these fights. The woman was the cause of it, of course, senor, these are not the first. She has, she has brought to their deaths, and he nodded at the girl who was wrapping the body in a blanket. You see, she was going to marry this man and he tapped the Indian whose wounds he was dressing on the shoulder. But she took up with that one, pointing through the nearest body. Whereupon number one here, being drunk with Mescal, laid wait for number two and stabbed him dead. The girl who was with him ran for number three yonder, number two's brother, but number one ambushed him, and so he was killed also. Then, hearing the noise, the village guard came up and cut down our friend here with their machetes, but, as you see, unfortunately, they did not kill him. I heard, and anger took hold of me. Approaching the girl, I said, "'This is your doing, woman. Are you not afraid?' "'What of it?' she answered sullenly. "'Can I help it if I am pretty, and men fight for me?' Also, who are you to ask me whether I am afraid? Fool, cried the barber from the doorstep. Do you dare to speak thus to the Lord of the Heart? The girl started and replied, Why not? Is he then my Lord? Listen, girl, I said. Others beside these have died through you. How do you know that? she answered. But what need to ask? If you are the Lord of the Heart, you have the evil eye and can read secrets without their being discovered to you. It is you that have the evil eye, woman, like many other of your sex, I said. Hear me now. You will leave this place and you will never return to it, for if you do, you die. Also remember, that if harm should come to any more men on your account, wherever you go, I shall know it, and you will die there. Whoever you are, you are not the government, and have no right to kill me. 
she said, trying to hide the fear which crept into her black eyes. No, woman, I am not the government. But among our people I am more powerful than the government. If you do not believe me, ask the doctor yonder, and he will tell you that I should be obeyed, even by people who had never seen me, where a troop of soldiers would be laughed at. If I say that you are to die, you will die in this way or in that, for my curse will be on you. Perhaps you may tumble over a precipice, or you may take a fever or be drowned in crossing a river. Quien sabe? I know, Lord, I know, she whispered, shivering, for now she was frightened. Do not look so terribly at me. Spare me this time, for I love our God. I did not mean to do it, but when... Men put their hearts into a woman's hand. How can she help squeezing them, especially if she hates men? But I did not hate this one. And she touched the cheek of the dead Indian caressingly. I really meant to marry him. It is that fellow whom I hate, pointing to the wounded lover, and I hope that he will be shot, else I think I shall poison him. You will not poison him, woman. And though he deserves to die, you are worse than he. Now be gone, and remember my words. Bending down, she touched the corpse's forehead with her lips, then rising said, I kiss your feet, Lord of the Heart, and went away without looking behind her, nor was she seen again in that village. Then with a sigh I also was turning to go, for it saddened me to think that when drink got hold of them, a woman should have the power to change these men, who are my brethren, into savage beasts, thirsting for each other's blood. Ah, oh, I mused, had it not been for that other woman who had destroyed me and my hope, by now I had begun to teach them better. At this moment, looking up, I chanced to see a man such as I had never before beheld standing by my side and gazing at me. Stories are told of how men and women, looking on each other for the first time, in certain cases, are filled with a strange passion of love, of which, come what may, they cannot again be rid. Among many misfortunes, thanks to be my guardian angels, this fate has never overtaken me. Yet at that moment I felt something that was akin to it, not love indeed, but a great sense of friendship and sympathy for and with this man, which mastering me then is still growing to this hour, though its object has for many years been dead. Perhaps it was the contrast between us that attracted me so much at first, since human beings are ever drawn towards their opposites in nature and appearance. I, my friend, for whom I write this history, as you will remember, although you have only known me in my age, am tall, thin, and sallow, like all my race, with a sad expression, reflecting the heart within in melancholy eyes. Very different were the mind and the appearance of James Strickland, the Englishman, he was a fine man, over thirty years of age, short in proportion to his width, though somewhat spare in frame and slender in limb. His features were as clearly cut as those of an ancient god upon a marble wall. His eyes were as blue as the sea, and, though just now they were troubled at the sight of death, 
merry like the eyes of a boy. His curling hair, for he had removed his hat in the presence of the dead, was yellow as mimosa bloom, darkening almost to red in the short beard, and about the ears where the weather had caught it, and beneath his shirt, which was open at the neck, the skin showed white like milk. For the rest his hands were long and delicate, notwithstanding the hard work of which they bore traces. His glance was quick, and his smile the most pleasant that ever I had seen. "'Your pardon, senor,' said the Ingles in good Spanish, bowing to me as he spoke, "'but unwittingly I have overheard some of your talk with yonder woman, "'and I cannot understand how it comes about that you, a stranger, have so much authority over her. "'I wish that you would explain it to me in order that I might learn how to put a stop to such matters.' These dead men were two of my best workers, and I do not know where I shall look to replace them. I cannot explain it, senor, I answered, returning his bow. Further than to say I have a certain rank among the Indians, on account of which they reverence me. Still, though I have no right to ask it of a stranger, I pray that you will forget any words of mine which may chance to have reached your ears, since of such authority the government is jealous. Oh, by all means, senor, they are already forgotten. Well, adios, uh, this sight is not so pleasant that I wish to study it. And replacing his hat upon his head, he passed on. Although my journey proved to be in vain, seeing that the scroll I came to read had vanished, I lingered in the village of Cumarvo, alleging as the reason of my stay a hope that it might be discovered, but really, as I believe, because I desired to become friendly with this white man. As it chanced, an opportunity was soon given me to do him a signal service. I have stated that there dwelt men of position in this place, Mexicans who were jealous of the Englishmen, and these people stirred up some discontented miners in his employ to make a plot to murder him, saying that if they did so, they would win a great treasure which he kept hidden in his house. This plot came to my ears through one of the Brotherhood, and I determined to frustrate it, to which end I collected together twenty good men and true, and, arming them with guns, bade them be silent about the matter, above all to the Ingles, whom I did not wish to alarm. The plan of the murderers was at the hour of dawn to attack the house where the Signor Strickland slept, with four or five servants only, and to put all within its walls to death. Accordingly, about one o'clock on the night fixed, I dispatched my men by twos and threes, instructing them to go round the hills at the back at the back of the house, and, creeping into the garden, hide themselves there among the trees till I appeared. An hour later I followed them myself without being observed by the spies of the attacking party, for rainfall and the night was very dark. Arriving in the garden, I collected my men and placed them in ambush under a low wall commanding the street, of which I knew the murderers must come. Here we waited patiently till the cocks crew and the dawn began to break in the east. 
Presently we heard a stir in the village beneath as of men marching, and in the gathering light we saw the murderers creeping stealthily up the street to the number of fifty or more. So great was their fear of the Englishman that they thought it safer to bring many men to kill him. Also each of the villains desired that his neighbor should be a sharer in the crime. "'Will you not wake up the English?' asked a man next to me. "'No,' I answered. "'It will be time enough to wake him when the affair is settled. "'Let none of you fire till I give the word.' "'Now the brigands in the street below, men without shame, "'after waiting a little time for the light to grow stronger, "'advanced toward the gate, looking like a procession of monks, "'for the air was chilling, each of them wore his serape wrapped around his head. In their hands they carried rifles and drawn machetes. Within ten paces of the gate they paused for a minute to consult, and I heard their leader, a Mexican, direct half of them to creep round to the back of the house so as to cut off all escape. Then I whistled, which was the signal agreed upon, at the same time covering the Mexican with my rifle. Almost before the sound had left my lips there followed a report of twenty guns, and some fifteen or sixteen of the enemy were stretched upon the ground. For a moment they wavered, and I thought that the rest of them were going to fly, but this they dared not do, for they knew that they had been seen. Therefore they rushed at the wall with a yell, firing as they came. As I climbed over it, we met them with pistol shots and machetes, and for a few minutes the affair was sharp, for they were desperate and outnumbered us. Still they lost many men in scaling the wall and forcing the gate, and with exemption of fourteen who fled and were for the most part caught afterwards, the rest of them we finished amongst the flowers and vegetables of the garden. Just as all was over, the Englishman, who was a sound sleeper, appeared yawning, dressed in white and holding a pistol in his hand. "'What is this noise?' he asked, rubbing his eyes. "'And why are you people fighting in my garden?' "'Go away, all of you, or I shall shoot at you.' "'I trust,' I said, bowing, "'that the Signor will pardon us for disturbing him in his slumber, "'but this matter could not be settled without some noise. "'May I offer the Signor my serape? "'The air is chilly, and he will catch cold in that dress.' "'Thank you,' he said, putting on the serape. "'And now perhaps you will explain—' Why, you come to spoil my garden by making a battlefield of it. Then I told him, and was astonished to see that, as I went on, he grew very angry. I suppose that I must thank you, gentlemen, for saving my life, he said at last, though I never asked you to do it. But all the same, I think it shameful that you should have had this fight in my own garden without giving me the opportunity of sharing it. Caramba! "'Am I a little girl that I should be treated in such a way?' "'And of a sudden he burst out laughing and shook me by the hand. "'That day, when all the trouble was over and the place had been made tidy, "'the Signor Strickland sent a man to ask if I would do him the pleasure to dine with him. "'I accepted, and, as we sat smoking after dinner, "'having talked of the fight till we were tired of it, he spoke thus to me. Don Ignacio, I owe you my life. 
and believe me, I'm grateful, for I do not see why you should have risked so much for a foreign stranger. I did it because I like you, Senor, I answered. Also because it is uh, very pleasant to catch the wicked in their own toils. Those who perished this morning were villains, every one of them. They came in the hope of plunder, for such men without shame will murder human beings for five dollars a head. But they were set on by others who hate you because you treat your Indian workmen fairly, and also because they do not wish foreigners here to compete with them, and think that you are but the first bird of the flock. Therefore they thought that it would be a good policy to kill you so as to frighten away others who might follow. However, that danger has gone by, and you need have no more fear, for they have uh, learnt a lesson which they will not forget. <laughs> so much the better, then, he answered, for I have troubles enough to deal with here without being bothered to protect my life against such contemptible vermin. Now, Don Ignacio, I hardly like to ask you, and I dare say that you will think the offer beneath contempt, but are you willing to accept an engagement? Uh, I am sadly in need of sub-manager, one who could control the Indians, and to such a man I am prepared to pay a hundred dollars a month. The funds of the company I represent will not allow me to offer more. I thought for a while and answered, Signor, the money is not enough to tempt me, though it will serve to buy food, lodging, and cigars. But I accept your offer for the same reason that I fought your battles this morning, because I like you, and will gladly do my best to serve you in your interest. Still, I must warn you that, uh, for aught I know, I may have to leave your service at short notice, for my time is not altogether my own. I also am the servant of a great company, Senor, and though now I am on leave, as it were, and have been for many years, I may be required at any moment. Thus it was then that I entered the service of the Senor James Strickland, or rather of his company, in which I continued for something more than a year, working very hard for the Senor, did not spare either me or himself. But as the records of these months of fruitless labor could have little interest for you, my friend, instead of writing of them I will tell you in a few words what was the history of this Englishman as he told it to me. He was of noble blood, as might have been seen in his face, for he had a right to be addressed as honorable, which it would seem means more in England than it does here. Nevertheless, his father was a priest of the heretic church, and quite poor, though how this came about, you, being an Englishman, will understand better than I, seeing that in most countries it is the privilege of nobles to enrich themselves at the expenses of others of less rank. At any rate, when James Strickland's father died, his son, who was then a lad of twenty, found that he possessed in the world no more than five thousand dollars. This sum, being of adventurous mind and sanguine temperament, he invested in a ranch in Texas where he endured much danger and hardship and lost all his money. 
After this experience, having nothing to live on and no friends, he was obliged to labor with his hands like a peon, and this he did in many ways. He broke horses, he herded cattle. Once, even, for two months, he sank so low, it makes me angry to write of it, as to be forced to wait upon the guests in an inn at Panama. Thence he drifted to Nicaragua and became mixed up in mining ventures, and when first I met him he had been a miner for ten years. Most of this time he spent managing a mine for an American in the Chontilis country on the frontier of Honduras, where the fever is so bad that few white men can live. Here it was that he learned to speak Spanish and the Indian or Maya tongue. At length, after an attack of fever which nearly killed him, he left Honduras and came to Mexico, where he accepted the management of the silver mine at Cumarvo. Hitherto it had been worked by a Mexican on behalf of its owners, who dismissed the rogue for stealing ore and selling it. This mine, though very rich, was hard to deal with, uh, profitably because of the water gathered in it in all the months that Signor Strickland had been its captain. He was employed in driving a tunnel upward from a lower level in the cliff in order to drain the workings. Shortly after I came into his service, this tunnel was finished, for now I was able to obtain plenty of labor which before he had lacked, and we began to bring to bank ore running as high as two hundred ounces to the ton, so that for some months all went well. Then, of a sudden, the ore body dipped straight downward as though it had been bent when hot, and we followed it till the water increased so much that we were unable to carry it out, for in those days there were no steam pumps in Mexico, such as there are now, used for the drying of mines. First we tried to strike another vein, but without success. Then we attempted to pierce a second drainage tunnel at a still lower level, but after more than three months' labor the rock became so hard that we were obliged to abandon the task. Now there was nothing to be done except to stop work at the tunnel and report the matter by letter to the owners of the mine, employing ourselves meanwhile in the smelting of such ore as we had stacked. This, indeed, we needed to do in order to pay wages with the silver, seeing that after the first few months the owners ceased to remit us money. One evening, on returning from the smelting works to the house, I found Signor Strickland, his chin resting on his hand, and an unlighted cigar in his mouth, seated at the table on which lay an open letter. All through our misfortunes and heavy labor he had never lost heart or forgotten to smile and be merry, but now he looked sad as a man who has just buried his mother, and I asked him what evil thing had happened. "'Nothing particular, Ignatio,' he answered. But, li "'But listen here,' and he read the letter aloud. "'It was from one of the owners of the mine, and this was the purport of it, "'that the shaft had become choked with water "'because of the incompetence and neglect of the signor, "'that they, the owners, hereby dismissed him summarily, "'refusing to pay him the salary due.' and lastly that they held him responsible in his own person for such money as they had lost 
Surely, I cried in wrath, when he had finished, this letter was written by a man without shame, and I pray that he may find his grave in the stomachs of hogs and vultures, for I forgot myself in my indignation against those that could speak thus of the Signor, who had slaved day and night in their service, giving him no rest. Oh, do not trouble, Ignacio, he said with a little smile. It is the way of the world. I have failed and must take the consequences. Had I succeeded, there would have been a different story. Still, I think that uh, if ever I meet this man again, I will kick him for telling lies about me. Do you know, Ignacio, that with the exception of one thousand dollars which remains to my credit in Mexico, I have spent all my own money that I had saved upon this mine, and uh, of that thousand dollars eight hundred are due to you for back pay, so whatever trade I take to next, I shall not begin as a rich man. <laughs> Be silent, I beg of you, senor, I answered, for such words make my ears burn. What? Am I also a thief that I should rob you? you who have already plucked like a fowl for the good of others. Insult me once more by such thoughts, and I will never pardon you. Then I left the house to calm myself by walking among the mountains, little knowing what I should hear before I entered it again.' 